Again, it, it sure is a privilege to be here. I, uh, I am, I am uh, sorry that you're, for, for the circumstances that your pastor is sick, but uh, I am grateful for uh, the opportunity and the privilege. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about, about me and uh, about the work that the Lord has given my family. I do apologize that my family is not with me today. Uh, we're visiting uh, my folks in Pittsburgh over the holiday. And uh, I have a, a, a son who turns three years old on Tuesday, and uh, he's with his cousin uh, and was just so excited to go to junior church with his cousin that I could not rob him of that. And uh, so, so that's where they are this morning. But uh, I had the privilege of pastoring in Michigan, just outside of Grand Rapids, for about eight years. And uh, one year ago, last Sunday, uh, I turned the church that I had been pastoring over to my assistant. And uh, one year ago, this Sunday, I joined Elbow Lake Baptist Church in Elbow Lake, Minnesota. You say, I've never heard of that. Most people in Minnesota have never heard of that. It's a little town of about 1,100 people. And uh, the pastor there is Silas Clark. He's my pastor. Uh, he's a, uh, a Georgia boy. Went up there six years ago from North Georgia and planted that church. And uh, he has planted a church that runs right now after about six years in the 50s uh, in a town that is dying, has no industry. There's only 1,100 people in the whole town. And he went there and said, this is where God has called me to plant a church. And you would say, why would you plant a church in a town that is dying and people are leaving and where there is no industry? How sustainable is that? My friend, there's souls there. There is souls there. It was one year ago today when we joined that church that we launched our ministry, Upper Midwest Church Planting. And uh, we traveled for 40 weeks raising support for our ministry. And then my, my family and I started Gospelite Baptist Church on October 10th of this year. Uh, so uh, just, just three months ago now. And uh, that, that, that's in the city of Alexandria, Minnesota. Alexandria is a lot different than Elbow Lake, Minnesota. Uh, Alexandria is the largest city for 100 miles any direction. It has uh, now about 15,000 people. Uh, it's going to be doubling in size according to uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the county school board. The city of Alexandria is going to double in size over the course of the next 10 years. And uh, the city of Alexandria is really the hub around which west central Minnesota turns. So think towards the Dakota borders. It's really the hub around which all, uh, that entire area turns. And uh, they did not have a Baptist church of any kind. They did not have one. Now, over the course of the last 20 years, uh, they had had uh, four. Two of them closed. One of, one of them uh, changed their doctrine quite some time ago. Uh, another one of them shortly no longer became uh, a Baptist church and is now an evangelical church. And so they did not have a Baptist church, and uh, we went in and started one. Uh, it has been going very well over the course of the last three months. I want to say we've had probably 12 services with visitors or so. Uh, we've had one join the church. 
And we just had our candlelight service uh, before Christmas there, and we had 30 in attendance at that. And so that was very, very exciting. But uh, I would ask you to please pray for us as we're establishing that church. But also, if you would, please pray for the state of Minnesota. The reason that we started Upper Midwest Church Planning is because the Upper Midwest of the United States is one of the hardest hit areas in the country for churches like this. We looked at these Upper Midwest states, and we were looking for for Baptist churches like this one. These are churches that if you look through the lens of the Baptist distinctives, that they are distinctively Baptist. Uh, now, the, we're talking about uh, individual soul liberty. We're talking about the priesthood uh, of the believer, the authority of the Word of God. We could really summarize it in this way. When you look at Baptist churches that use the King James Bible, 55 out of the 87 counties, not cities, counties in Minnesota do not have one. They are predominantly Lutheran and Catholic. Um, there are 1.2 million people in the state of Minnesota living in counties that do not have a Baptist church like this one. Uh, when you look in the Dakotas, uh, uh, it is uh, also very, very needy. When you look at the state of Iowa, it's something like uh, 790,000 peoples uh, living in counties that do not have one. Uh, it, it's been said for a long time. I, I grew up in U.S. church planting and church recovery. And my dad used to always say that every year in America, 3,000 churches close their doors. Only 1,000 churches open their doors. So that's a net loss of 2,000. Well, that was in the 90s. Since the year 2000, there have been some years where we've lost slightly less, some years where we've lost dramatically more. But during the pandemic, early estimates were somewhere around 30% of the churches that closed their doors were not going to reopen. These would be mostly smaller churches in rural areas that were barely hanging on. And the shutdown was just enough to push them over the edge into closing. What I'm saying is this, that in 2022, can you believe that? It's 2022 now. In 2022, America is more of a missions field than it ever has been before. We often don't think of a place like Minnesota as a missions field, but in the West Central region that I am in, six years ago, before Elbow Lake Baptist Church started, there was not a Baptist church like this one in the entire 12-county region. It was hundreds of miles. In the last six years, Two have been started. We started the third in October. The first was Elbow Lake, the church that I'm sent out of. The second was uh, uh, Liberty Baptist Church in the city of Montevideo. And that's a church that I helped to start while I was pastoring in Michigan. And it was upon starting that church that the Lord called us to go about it full time. So we've now started the third. That leaves nine counties. What Upper Midwest Church Planning, our ministry is really about, is seeing churches established. Right now, we're just focusing on West Central Minnesota. Uh, we're doing a number of things to that end. In the month of August, we're having a vision week where we're inviting young men from all over the country who have a burden for church planning to come and be exposed to the need because a lot of people in different parts of the country have never been exposed to areas where there is a tremendous need for church planting. And so we're inviting them to come out and be exposed to some of these towns. We'll take them door knocking in some of these towns. But our main goal with that is to reach some of these cities with the gospel. There are entire towns where there is no gospel witness. They only have a Lutheran witness. 
They only have a Catholic uh, witness. Many of these towns are, in fact, small, and they are rural, and they are what some would call dying. And you'd say, well, why would we go to those people? Because, my friend, those 1.2 million people, they're souls, and they're going to live for eternity somewhere. So we would so greatly appreciate your prayers for our uh, ministry, Gospelite Baptist Church in Alexandria, as we're laboring to get that established, and then my, uh, my family as we work there in that west central region. Please turn, if you would, in your Bible, to the book of John, chapter number 17. John, chapter number 17. I'd like to spend a little bit of time this morning talking about unity. Now, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not very familiar with your church. Uh, as far as I know, this is a church that has wonderful unity. And I'm not saying that you don't, but I do know this. I know that your church needs unity, that your church ought to have unity. And if you have unity now, that unity is going to come under attack. And the time to protect it is now while you have it. If you do not have it, you ought to have it, and you should seek to remedy the problem that you may have it. It is difficult, may I say impossible, for a church to execute God's purpose and plan for them in the area where God has placed them unless they have unity. In John chapter number 17, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying to God the Father. This is before he goes to the cross. And in John 17, he spends much time praying for unity. Look, if you would, beginning in verse number 11. And now, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone. Look at this. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. Their word is those who are following him now, including the apostles. Who is that that believed on him through their word? That's us. That's us. That's everyone who accepted Christ after this period of time. That is us. Verse number 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me and I in them, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, 
that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word and for the clarity with which it's given. We ask, Lord, this morning that you would do the thing that only you can do. Dear Lord, that you would speak to us on an individual level. Dear Lord, that you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would take your word, write it upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see the clear and the personal application that you have for us. I pray, dear Lord, that you'd help me to say only those things that you would have me to say, nothing else. And I pray, dear Lord, that you, only you, and not any man would be glorified through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> You'll have to forgive me. I, I, I said this morning in Sunday school that it was, a, it was a privilege to be here because I was enjoying this beautiful weather. When I woke up this morning, the town that we're in, Alexandria, it was negative 25 degrees, and the wind chill was negative 40. And uh, so that is what we drove in from. And uh, that being said, the, uh, uh, I was driving here this morning as the rain was turning to snow into ice, and I thought, oh, this is just lovely. I love it. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Out, out, out in Minnesota, there are so many lakes. You, you know, they call it the land of 10,000 lakes. There's really, there's almost 13,000 lakes. And where we're at is the start of the lake region. The town of Alexandria, this is not part of the sermon, but I'll get there. The town of, of Alexandria has so many lakes around it that it almost, from the sky, it almost looks like an island. There's just so many lakes. They're everywhere. But what happens is that humidity creates a frost that just covers everything. And so the roads are always slippery and all this kinds of stuff. So we've been enjoying the warm, but... I've got a frog in my throat, and that's just sort of the result of the shock of the weather change. And uh, so uh, if, if, if my voice bothers you, uh, I implore you, please come back next week when Pastor is going to be healthy, and uh, his voice is just silky smooth and beautiful, and uh, the preaching will be much better, and you will enjoy it, I promise. All right, John chapter number 17. Looking here at these verses, I'd, I'd like to first understand what it is that we mean when, uh, what we mean when we say unity. When we say unity, what we mean is a sameness in position. That position is in Christ. In verse number 21, it says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. If a church is to have unity, then those who are in the church must be in Christ. That's step number one. You've got to be saved. If you want to have unity in your church, then church membership is for those that are saved. But unity goes beyond just simply salvation because there are many who are saved with whom we do not have unity. Unity is to be a sameness in position, but also it is to be a sameness in passion. In verse number 26, it says, and I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them and I in them. That sameness in passion is a love of Christ and a love from Christ, meaning that we're not loving with our human fleshly love, but we are loving with the spiritual love from God, that we have a love 
of the Lord and the love that we love him with is a love that is from him, meaning that it is superior to our human form of love, right? This is what I'm talking about, that agape love that the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. For example, if someone is saved and they come and they join the church, but they do not love the Lord, instead they only love themselves, then it is going to be difficult to have unity with that person. A small example of this would be uh, 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 John chapter number 12, where uh, uh, Mary and Judas are in the same place. They're there at the house of Mary and Martha, and Jesus is dining. And Mary and Judas, they're in the same place. But Mary comes in, and she anoints the feet of Jesus in an act of worship, and she gives sacrificially of herself. She gives out of love, and she gives out of faith. And then Judas pipes up, and he says, Why was not this sold and given to the poor? Why was the money, and I forget the exact amount of money, I apologize. Why was it not sold and given to, to, uh, to the poor? This he said because he was a thief and he held the purse. Judas loved himself. His passion was for himself. Meanwhile, Mary had a love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Even though they were in the same place, they did not have unity. Also, it is a sameness in purpose. In verse number 18, Jesus said, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. The sameness in purpose that we've been charged with the Lord, by the Lord Jesus Christ with a declaration and demonstration of his love through the gospel of God in this world. We are supposed to proclaim that good news of forgiveness of sins from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that as a church, we've been commissioned to come together and to remain pure and spotless from the world, that we would be a bride awaiting the bridegroom. This is our purpose as a church. This is your purpose here as Anchor Baptist Church. But we must have this sameness in purpose that we would execute the commission given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. But again, if I could use that same example of Mary and Mar uh, I'm sorry, Mary and Judas, they are two people who are in the same place and they're both following Christ. They're both there because of Jesus. Now Judas is a false convert here, but nevertheless, they're both there for Jesus. Mary is there to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Judas is there to exalt himself. Judas is there for personal gain. Judas is there because he has recognized that following Jesus comes with certain privileges and responsibilities and opportunities for personal gain, and he's going to take full advantage of those. Mary is there to give to Jesus. Judas is there to get. Mary is there to serve. Judas is there to be served. Mary is there to exalt Jesus. Judas is there to exalt himself. They are in the same place, but they do not have the same passion. And because they do not have the same passion, they do not have the same purpose. And so if a church is to have unity, what we mean when we say unity is not just that we would all be saved. Neither is it all that we would just say, oh boy, we sure do love Jesus. But it is that we would love the Lord we would be in the Lord, and then we would come together and execute the purpose 
that he has for us and that we would recognize the church and all of the elements of the church and the resources of the church as being used for the execution of that purpose. The Apostle Paul described it in 1 Corinthians 1. He said, now I beseech you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Here's a wonderful characterization of unity. I'd like you to consider what it is that we learn about unity here in John chapter number 17 and why it is that we ought to take unity uh, uh, importantly. I don't think that's the right word there. Why it is that we ought to take consider unity an important topic. Let's say that. How's that? Verse number 21 It says that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. I would like you to consider here that the Lord Jesus Christ is praying this for us, that his followers, those who are following him now, those who would be following him later, that in his departure, that they would have unity. As he prays now, he's praying for the well-being of his disciples. His great concern before his hour of suffering was what lied ahead for them. Why is it that we should care about unity? Because unity is the the heartbeat of Christ. Unity is the heartbeat of Christ. That here, as the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for unity, we should consider the time in which he is praying and consider what it is that he is about to endure. And when he comes to, to the Father and he has opportunity to pray for anything, what he prays is that they who are following him would have unity. If Jesus wanted his followers to have unity like that, my friend, we should want this as well. Understand that the process of Christ-likeness, that's sanctification, the process whereby we become more like Christ should create the same desire in us as we grow to have the mind of Christ and as we grow to have the heart of Christ, that as we grow to love the way that he loves and to desire what it is that he desires, so we should desire unity because he desired unity. If it was important enough for him to pray before going to the cross for our unity, then how much more important, my friend, should it be for you and I to keep it ever before us in prayer? in consideration of our words, in consideration of our actions. Unity is the heartbeat of Christ, but unity is also this. It is a heavenly gift. And what I mean by that is that your pastor cannot give the church unity. Your deacons cannot give the church unity. That it does not fall upon any one individual. Neither can your church schedule a unity conference and have a preacher come in and preach on the topic and lay out a five-step program as to how you have unity in your church. Now, all of those things might help to raise awareness 
for the need of unity, but those things in and of themselves will not create unity. Unity and this kind of unity that Jesus is praying for is a heavenly gift. In the verses that we just read, verse number 21, it is compared to the union of the Father and the Son. Not in its existence, not in its power, but in its purpose and in its focus, and in its love, it is here compared to the unity of the Father and the Son. They together, for one purpose, the redemption of man, they together able to do the thing that no man could do. And so as no man can provide unity, so it must come from God. It is the same here in its source. It sources God and not man. Notice here that what Jesus does is he desires that his followers have unity and he doesn't go and implore Peter. He doesn't take this time where he's in prayer and instead go to Peter and say, Look, Peter, I'm going to give you a lecture about unity. Instead, he goes to the Father and he prays for it. Why? Because it is a heavenly gift. It is spiritual in its nature. It's spiritual in its source. And it's spiritual in its maintenance. I'll tell you what, something like a Christmas party, it'll go a long way to help with unity, but not as much as praying. Not as much as praying with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not as much as praying with the people that you go to church with. Not as much as worshiping together. It comes from God. When we consider that it's spiritual in its maintenance, we must consider that if it's worth praying to get it, then it ought to be worth praying to keep it. It's a heavenly gift. Unity is also this. It is a heavenly sign. One of the reasons why I think this topic is so important is because unity is distinctly lacking in our culture today. You, we see division and we see discord all around us. It, you're, you're, you're likely aware of divisions and discord that is happening in churches around your area. You're likely aware of divisions and discord in our political system, whenever you look at a newspaper, as if people look at the newspaper, or you turn on the radio, or you turn on the news of some kind, you're aware of divisions, you're aware of disunity. I had, I had Thanksgiving dinner with a man that was unable to go and spend Thanksgiving dinner with his family because he was asked not to come due to some of the divisions that are sweeping through our country right now. It's all around us. That's what I'm saying. And if it's all around us, then we ought to identify the problem and endeavor to keep it out of our church. Because Satan desires to sow disunity. Satan desires to sow discord. Satan desires to separate and to divide in the church for the purpose of distracting 
from what God has called you to do. That's what he wants to uh, do. And if we see the division is in vogue today in the world, then we need to prepare ourselves to keep it out of the church. We need to prepare our church to keep it out. We need to set up some safeguards and we need to be proactive about protecting the unity that we have. It is a heavenly sign and this is one of the reasons why it is that Satan seeks to cause division. This is also one of the reasons why it's so important that we have it. In verse number 23, it says at the end of the verse, and hast loved, the, uh, or, or I'm sorry, verse 23 in the beginning of the verse, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Also, John chapter number 13, verse 34 It says, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, and that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Why is it that division is so easy in the world and unity comes so hard in the world? But why is it that in a church, a place that can have unity, when you have a bunch of people with a bunch of different perspectives and personalities, differences, different ways of seeing problems and different ways of solving problems, how can all of these people come together under one roof and worship together and agree on things together and operate with the smoothness of a body as Christ being the head to execute with one mind a specific mission? How is that possible? Because Jesus changes men. That's how. This is a unity in the church is a manifestation of that truth that Jesus changes men. It's also a manifestation of sanctification. That as you become more like Christ and you begin to love more like Christ, then all of a sudden the imperfections of other individuals, they, they, they don't create such a stir. The wounds don't, don't sting quite as bad. The, the offense that is caused by others is not quite as severe because your love for that person overcomes those things. It's a manifestation of sanctification. And these things compel men to notice the distinction. I'll tell you what, when a church has unity, I believe that it was Leonard Ravenhill who said you don't have to advertise a fire. When a church has unity over the gospel and over what its purpose is and over what its plan is and over what it is that God is doing as the church agrees on these things and God begins to move in a mighty way, do you know what happens? The community notices. Those folks down there have something that they don't have at my church. Those folks down there, they, they have some, there's something going on there that I'm not seeing in the workplace, that I'm not even seeing in my own family. Those people seem to just love so much and they have so much joy and so much peace. And it seems like the, the whole world is falling apart. And you're here, you have a whole church full of people getting together and joyfully praising the Lord. How is this happening? My friend, God is at work. That's how it's happening. God is changing men. That's how it's happening. 
God is making men more like him and they are beginning to walk in the liberty and in the grace and in the mercy and in the joy and in the peace that he gives to his believers where all of a sudden they don't become consumed by these earthly things because their eyes are on eternal things. They're not thrown about by secular things because their, their eyes and their hearts are set on spiritual things. Unity is a heavenly sign, my friend. It is a sign that God is at work in your church. But let's consider for a few moments what unity is not. What unity is not. One, unity is not a, a general sameness. Now I, I say this because I have a disease that compels me to alliterate. And I'm, I'm working on breaking that disease. But it did not work here. And what I simply mean is this, that unity is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. That unity doesn't mean that everyone is supposed to be exactly like you. Uh, turn, turn, if you would, in your Bible to um, 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. First Corinthians chapter number 12, verse number 4. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of administration, but the same Lord. There are diver uh, diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretations of tongues. But all these worketh that one in the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will." For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. What we see here is that there is a plurality of gifts that are given to, to the church. A plurality, a diversity. What it means is more than one. That there are different gifts and things that are given to the church. Let's, let's demonstrate the same thing in, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5. Ephesians, chapter number 5. You can turn there if you would like. Ephesians, chapter 5, verse number 11. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm incorrect here. It's actually Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men in cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But, speaking of the truth in love, may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. Plurality of gifts. Here we see a plurality of ministries. That what God's plan here is, is that there would be different gifts and that there would be a different ministries 
given to individuals who are in the church for what purpose? That we henceforth be no more children for the sake of our spiritual growth. And so as God has given numerous gifts and given numerous ministries, do you know how many I have? I, one, maybe two, maybe half a one. I, I, <laughs> kind of depends, you know. Do you know how many you have? I don't know, but not all of them. That's the answer, not all of them. But what we see is that these are given for the sake of our spiritual maturity and our Christian growth, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine. And so if you are not a part of the church because someone is different than you are, then what happens? then you miss out on those other gifts. You miss out on those other ministries. That the reason why we're supposed to come together is so that we can help each other grow in the Lord. But if it's just you, and say everyone in my entire town is just a bunch of heretics, and so I'm just going to stay at home and read my Bible and not go to church, then what happens? You become weaker because you miss out on these other gifts, because you miss out on these other ministries, and you do not grow the way that you are intended to. Understand this, it's okay for people to have different personalities. It is okay for people to have different perspectives. It is okay for people to care about parts of the ministry that you don't care about. And for you to care about a part of the ministry that no one else cares about. Do you know why? What we're reading here is that makes the church thorough. That's what it does. That means that we're working together to do with efficiency the thing that only one gift and two perspectives would not be able to do. That we're coming together. Unity is not uniformity. You say, well, if we're all so different, how is it that we have unity? Look at verse number four of Ephesians 4. There's one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. How is it that we have unity? It's the one faith. It's the one God. He's the source of our unity. Unity is not uniformity, as many have said. Uni unity is this. It's diversity in Christ. That's what unity is. Diversity in Christ. If you want everybody to be exactly like you, it'll make the church less efficient. Not to mention... And, and, and I say this as someone who pastored. I guess I pastor now. It's just a very small group of people. I, I've come to find out the smaller the group of people, the easier unity comes. <laughs> we, we had our first, we had our first, I, I remember when I was pastoring the first time that we ever had a meeting that was, that, that was a, a split vote. And it wasn't a clear split. There was like one no. You know, and I'm a brand new pastor. I don't, and I thought the world was coming crashing down. It's like the Lord has departed from our church. I'm going to write Ichabod over the door. What's going on here? Well, then we plan a church and we have our, our first meeting and it goes so well. Oh, it went so well. It was so smooth and everybody had complete agreement. And I was driving home with my wife and I said, wow. I just can't get over how well that went. And my, my, my wife says, says, 
There's only seven of us, sweetheart. <laughs> so you might have good meetings, but it's going to make you less efficient. That's the point. That's the point. Unity is diversity in Christ. Unity is also this. Unity is not suffering. It is not suffering. And what I mean by that is that it is not enduring abuse. There, there, there might be some who would say, you know, there, there's a sister, brother, so-and-so there at the church. And because and let's face it, some folks are just a little more sensitive than other folks. And something's said or something's done, some toes get stepped on. And they say, oh, well, you know what, for the, for, for the sake of unity, I'm just not going to say anything. And that's not to say that sometimes people who are sensitive don't just need to step back and go, you know what, I don't think they were trying to hurt me. Because sometimes that's a good thing to do. But you know as well as I do that every now and then in life, when you get a group of people together who are all different, sometimes there's some hurt that takes place. But if that hurt is a genuine hurt, it's a real hurt, it's not just you being way too sensitive. If it's a real hurt, and you say, you know what, for the sake of unity, I'm not going to address it. I don't want I don't, I don't to stir the pot. I don't want to create an upset. Things have been going so well that I, I just don't want to create a bother. Or so-and-so is so offensive, that, uh, so easily offended that if I go to them, they're going to turn it into something that I, I never intended. And so I'm just going to endure and then a little while later, the same thing happens again. And the same thing happens again. And the same thing happens again. And the same thing. And you come to a point where here it is that you are, and you've just been getting lashed over and over and over again. And you're to the point where you are deeply, deeply hurt. Well, the Bible gives us this instruction. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if you have not done that, by the time you come to the point where something needs to be done, that wound is so much deeper. That hurt is so much greater. The healing is going to come more slowly. Because you said, I'm just going to take it and take it and take it. And you are human, my friend. And eventually, you won't be able to take it anymore. And at that point, if you follow this instruction and go and tell the fault between thee and him alone, you'll be doing very well. Because most people that I've seen who just take it and take it and take it, get to the point where they say, I can't take it anymore. And they just walk away. And they never did what the Bible instructed them to do. Unity is not suffering. Unity is not enduring abuse. We are to go to those whom we have a fault with for the sake of unity. That we would have unity and that those wounds would be covered more easily. And that the healing would come more quickly rather than allowing those things to go unattended. Unity is not settling either. It's not settling. And what I mean by that is that we're to separate from false teachers. 
We're still given instruction in Scripture to separate from false teachers and from false doctrine because the purpose of unity is that we would do the thing that we have been called to do and we've called to be a bride in waiting, pure and spotless in that that false teaching, that false doctrine, that maybe we're tempted just to look over for the sake of unity, my friend, it will create disunity and it will create a spot and a blemish. We are also, in terms of not settling, we're also to purge out the old leaven. And by that, I don't just mean false doctrine. I mean sin. I mean sin. It means that we're not supposed to settle for sin in the church either. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 5. To deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Those some harsh words. He was referencing a man that was having an affair with his father's wife. This was going on in the, uh, in the Corinthian church. And this is what he was saying. He was saying there's sin in your midst and you need to address it that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? He says there is sin in your midst and you must address it. This is what he deals with in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. He waits until the fifth chapter of this letter to the Corinthians to deal with the sin of fornication and adultery that was in the church. Do you know what he addressed in chapter number one? He addressed their disunity. He said, it's commonly reported that there are divisions among you. This is what he said. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in this situation and I'm going to speak to a church where it's known that there's this sin of fornication in the church, that's where I'm starting. I'm going to walk in and go, what's going on here? That's not what he does. He starts with the division. He says, some of you say, I am of Paul, and I of, I of Apollos, I of Cephas, and I of Christ. What that was is it was a time when people were dividing themselves based upon their favorite teachers. That's what they were doing. saying. I like this guy, and I like this guy. And Paul was somebody who came. Paul described his ministry in their church there in a very simple way. He said that uh, he, he endeavored to know nothing among them save Christ and him crucified. And so Paul came in really teaching the fundamentals of the Christian life. He was a foundational teacher. And then Apollos was somebody who came in. You, we don't have time here, but you can read about Apollos in Acts chapter number 18, verses 24 through 28. Apollos was somebody who came in and he was a minister that watered the seed of Paul. And where Paul said that he wasn't an eloquent speaker, he wasn't a very forceful speaker, that he just came and he came in humility and uh, he, he just came just, just speaking the word of God, right? Apollos was somebody who was eloquent who was well-educated, who was cultured. He was somebody that was able to build upon that spiritual foundation of Paul. But there were some people who said, hey, I like Apollos better than Paul because he's a more forceful speaker. Now, we oftentimes think of Paul in our minds as a forceful speaker, but he says that he wasn't. So I like Apollos. He's, he's more eloquent. And he, he brings this deeper stuff that the Apostle Paul really didn't touch on when he was with us. And so, I am of Paul. And then other people said, I'm of Cephas. That was Peter. Peter was somebody who had been with Christ. And they said, you know, Peter was with Christ. 
Paul wasn't converted until after Christ had already departed. He said, I, I'm not sure if I really want to follow Paul. After all, Peter was with Christ. These are also those who sympathized with the Judaizers. They wanted to remain with the Old Testament law. This was something that Peter empathized with. He said, hey, we like Paul better. And then other folks said, I am of Christ. And while I'd like to think that in that church, I would be in that crowd, these are people specifically who are saying, hey, we were converted under the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, or we heard him preach ourselves. And so while the rest of you are clamoring for teachers, we don't need teachers because we had Jesus. And so we're better than everybody else. What does Paul say? He said, was Paul crucified for you? You know what they were doing? They were taking the focus off of Christ because he's to have the preeminence in all things. They were taking the focus in the ministry off of the Lord Jesus Christ and they were putting it on to man. This created a distraction from the work. It created divisions in the work and it created discouragement in the work. Distraction, divisions, discouragement when they took the focus off of Christ and put it on to man. And this is the real problem here is that what they're identifying are the differences with these teachers. What they're failing to see is the way in which these teachers rounded each other out and rounded out the teaching of the Word of God. What I mean is that Paul comes in with milk and laying a solid foundation of the gospel, the gospel for salvation and the gospel for sanctification. And Apollos is somebody who comes in and he builds upon that foundation and begins teaching in matters of greater Christian conduct. And then Peter, who had an emphasis upon, upon works. Even in his letters, First and Second Peter, he emphasized being consistent and serving Christ despite suffering and despite persecution. So he comes in with an emphasis upon works that is necessary as the outward demonstration of our faith. What I'm saying is that all of these men had one piece of the picture that they were emphasizing, but together it was one whole and complete picture but they got so caught up on the differences that they couldn't see it and what happened they were so busy infighting that when something as plain as sin of fornication swept through the church they just let it they just let it be because they were too busy fighting and being divided and arguing over these other things and so the importance of unity, he emphasizes to them unity because there's sin in the church and there's false doctrine in the church that must be addressed, but they'll never address it unless they have unity. They'll never purge the leaven unless they have unity. They'll never settle on sound doctrine and fight for sound doctrine unless they have unity. My friend, unity is so incredibly important for us and for our ministries and so how is it that we have it? Well, what did Jesus do in John 17? He prayed for it. And so if you want unity, ask for it. Ask for it. Ask God to give you in your own personal life a spirit of unity. That you would have unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the church. It's a heavenly gift and a spiritual reward. It is not an earthly labor. Fight for it.
You want unity? Fight for it. And by that, I mean fight the flesh. I mean fight the devil. I mean get engaged in the spiritual warfare. Philippians chapter number 2 says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in loneliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Discord and division in the church is a breakdown of Christ-like love. And it is uh, uh, manifested, it comes about by walking in the flesh, not the Spirit. Scripture says, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. If you want unity in your church, forgive for it. Forgive for it. Galatians 6.1 Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Romans, be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Forgive for it. Sometimes what's necessary in order for us to have unity is just for you to lay down your weapons and say, all right, I'm going to stop fighting and I'm just going to forgive because we've been called to something greater than squabbles with brothers and sisters in Christ. We've been called to something greater than a focus on differences. My friends, we've been sent into the world as the Lord Jesus Christ was in the world. And so if we desire what he desires for us, we need to desire unity. We need to be willing to do our part to see that this ministry has unity. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to open up your word and spend some time here considering what it is that you have for us this morning and this thing that was so heavy on your heart before you went to the cross. Dear Lord, I pray that you would help us to put you first. Dear Lord, that you would help us to put the mission that you've given this church first. I pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to walk in the Spirit. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm going to ask if they'd start the music. If you would, please stand. Just spend some time with the Lord. Let me ask you two questions. One, are you born again? Has there been a time in your life when you departed from sin and turned to the Lord? Has there been a time when that happened? If you were to die today, would heaven be your home? You know the answer to that question, my friend. Maybe you say, you know what? I've never departed from anything and turned to the Lord. Maybe you say, if I die today, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I know about the Lord. Can't say that I know Him on a personal level. Just know about Him. If that's you, would you mind slipping your hand up? I'd just like to pray for you. Nobody's looking around but me. Is there anyone here that I can pray for? All right, my friend, if the Lord's spoken to you, the altar's open, some are praying, just be obedient. If the Lord's spoken to you, listen to Him now. 
Excellent message, excellent thought. Uh, that was truth there. Um, we'll be back tonight, 6 o'clock. Um, looking forward to seeing you. Uh, I'll close in prayer. Come by and, and see our guest preacher. Uh, let him know that you're thankful he came. Thank you for your help this morning, brother, and we appreciate it. Lord, thank you so much for the truths that were preached to us this morning, Lord. Lord, thank you for the rod. I thank you, Lord, for that Sunday school lesson, Lord. I thank you for the message on unity, Lord. May we strive as a church, Lord, to be unified in you. And Lord, I pray that you be with us this afternoon. Give us rest, Lord. Bring us back tonight. In your name I pray. Amen.